Well, good morning. I don't know. It's kind of like nowhere to go but down after that. Uh, but thank you so much. It's wonderful to have known your pastor and now in these years and uh, to have spent a lot of time uh, talking with him about where we are as a people of God in these times, how we are to respond, uh, and more importantly, how our own lives are to be formed by the gospel. As we begin to think about uh, today and what to bring to you, I, I actually just put down some scattered notes and I thought, I'm, I'm just going to ramble around these. Because, uh, you know, as a, as a pastor of a local church, uh, I pretty well know what the needs of that uh, church are. And, uh, and so each week as I prepare, I, I sort of know what the congregation uh, is needing to hear from the Lord. I don't know you except through your pastor, but our Lord knows us both. And so we're just going to trust that uh, he will give us what, what uh, he would like us to have. I'm going to call this uh, message this morning, Becoming Saints. I've always loved this passage from Second uh, Peter chapter 1 because it, I think, so expresses a view of spiritual life in which uh, supernatural grace enables a human being to transform. And it's a process that, though aims very high, uh, appears to others to be just a kind of a normal life that's unfolding. And, and that, that is what I think is missed a lot by our talks about spiritual life uh, in our times. There's kind of two ways of viewing uh, spiritual life. On one hand, you can see spiritual life as something apart from and even opposed to just normal, everyday life. So you either pursue being a very spiritual person or you pursue, uh, you know, investing money or uh, going into medicine or being a mechanic or whatever else it is that you believe that you're called to do in life. So much so that often we will hear Christians say, you know, uh, I was just living an ordinary life and I was a banker or a lawyer or, you know, just uh, just making money, just doing everyday employment. But in that service, the presence of God came upon me and I dedicated my life and I gave myself totally to the Lord's service and I left all that behind and I became a missionary or a pastor of a church or whatever. And that language has been with us for so long that we hardly know what to, you know, how, how to escape it. But that's a view of life really that sets as kind of you come to a fork in the road and either you're going to pursue natural, ordinary, everyday life or you're going to pursue spiritual life with a whole heart and, and just quest after God. But then there's that, that, that view supposes that nature is opposed to grace. That somehow there is nothing in natural life that's capable of responding to grace. And there's parts of Scripture that seem to say that. That particularly the, the unconverted and uh, that, uh, we're part of a fallen world and that we miss so much of what God is wanting to do for us and we're broken and we can't respond. But I think that the Scripture gives another view altogether and that is that nature can be redeemed that we can come under the lordship of Christ and that we can participate in divine life. In fact, this passage here from the Apostle Peter says that we are being made participants of divine nature. 
that is such a strong statement that if it weren't in the Bible, surely we would say the writer of this is absolutely a heretic. We've, you don't participate in divine nature. He says that we can And yet he follows this, that we are being made participants of divine nature. He follows this with some rather ordinary things. I want you to learn to be virtuous. I want you to add knowledge to this virtue and so forth. Brotherly love and all the things that he talks about there. That seems to be kind of a, a, a formulation of everyday life. One more thought about that. I was raised Pentecostal and uh, in and was a part of Pentecostal revival movement in South America for many years from my mid-teens. And I've seen some remarkable things, and I appreciate my background uh, in that movement. My my family all were raised in that same way back uh, to the beginning, the Pentecostal movement in this uh, this country. Uh, But I also noticed uh, in, in my life, many times there was that kind of neglect of everyday things. You could be a powerful man of God, but also not learn to keep keep a budget and balance your checkbook. You could be a you know wonderful miracle worker, but you know if you moral life slipped up a little bit, well, don't touch my anointed, do my prophets no harm. So there was, there's been a kind of a, a subculture that's grown up in our country to where uh, people that do mighty exploits in the spirit are somehow in a different category and are not. Uh, we don't hold them accountable to the same. Uh, kinds of ethics and morals that we do everybody else. And that's an abuse of the way that the Scripture presents spiritual life. But the Bible stories that we see, and and the, the stories we see in Scripture, is about ordinary people many times suffering, doing ordinary things, and having lives that are punctuated by experiences of supernatural grace as it pleases God. And the Scripture seems to indicate that one of the greatest proofs of God's presence in the world are, are people whose lives have been formed in such a way that sooner or later they kind of smell different. There's something about them, and it's not they may not do miracles, signs, and wonders, though they may by God's grace. But the important thing is that there's some quality of life that seems to exude from them that's different than those around them, and that this becomes attractive Uh, to the world, as the Lord says that men would see your good works and glorify my Father which is in heaven. I'd like to just kind of demonstrate how that works from one story of Scripture that we we don't deal with too much, and that is the story of Zechariah, not in the Old Testament, the New Testament, the father of John the Baptist. The Gospel of Luke begins as Luke, Luke, which did not know Jesus and and was a second-generation writer, He's writing to a person whom he he calls a Theophilus, and he writes the book of Luke and and Acts. And he tells him, he said, Theophilus, I know that you've received a a really good grounding in Christian faith. Uh, And and the Greek word there is katechesis, and it's it's used in the text uh, that your Bibles will uh, translate as uh, instruction or formation or whatever. So he says, I know that you've already had this instruction in Christian faith, but I wanted to write a, a narrative, a carefully created narrative, after talking to all the eyewitnesses who knew Jesus and knew all the things surrounding his birth, life, and death. And I wanted to, to, to do this so that it would add to your excellent uh, training that you've already received. 
And, and I was perplexed about that some years ago and thinking, what did he have to offer that the other gospel writers had not given? And what did he have to offer Theophilus if Theophilus had already been catechized or formed in the doctrines of Christian faith? And, and I began to notice immediately in verse 5, chapter 1 of Luke, St. Luke then begins to tell miracle stories. He said, there was in the hill country of Judea, there was a man by the name of Zechariah, his wife Elizabeth. They were righteous. Well, there you go. You want somebody writing about you and saying, you know, Joe works down at the machine shop that, you know, he was the one everybody knew was so righteous. And if it's not somebody being sarcastic, that's a pretty high compliment. So Zechariah was righteous. Not only that, we find out that he was a priest. He was uh, of the uh, uh, house of Levi and that he uh, was regularly uh, called upon to go to Jerusalem, to the temple uh, and to uh, uh, do various facets of ministry there as prescribed, you know, in the Old Testament. And so, so Zechariah was doing this. And one day, uh, Luke says, he was lighting the incense so he's like, you know, just going about his priestly duties, probably mumbling some psalm, you know, blessed be the Lord who, blah, 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 blah. and he's, he's doing all this stuff. And nobody, he's just doing what he's trained to do, a righteous man, loving God, worshiping God, carrying out the duties that Scripture prescribes. And suddenly, uh, Gabriel appears to him, uh, which doesn't happen every day to everybody, not even to somebody in... in and, and he seems not to have known for a while who he's talking to. It's just a, seemed like a person. Uh, and so Gabriel says, hey, I just wanted to, uh, I have a message from God. You and Elizabeth are going to have a baby. And so he's like, I don't think so. You know, it's like, we're kind of old now. Uh, and uh, uh, that's that we're, they were kind of past that time of life. But thank you very much for your concern. And uh, that, that's real sweet. Uh, and so Gabriel is ticked, which tells you don't tick off an angel, particularly an archangel. So Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And we, the reason we know he's ticked, he says, you're going to be mute for a while. You're not going to be able to say a thing because your mouth gets you in trouble. Uh, so you're just, you, you know, it's not that Zachariah is not unrighteous. He's not unholy. Uh, God's not angry with him. It's just that it's a supernatural sign to him that sometimes there are things beyond the everyday kinds of things that we do. He was doing righteous and good things. He lived a righteous life. He had good habits. He was a priest. He was doing godly stuff in the temple. He was carrying out his service in church, all those kinds of things. But he had forgotten that we are dealing with something that also contains a level that's beyond the everyday. And so, you know, the rest of the story where uh, he got to talk after he said, motion, bring me a tablet when the baby's born. The baby's name will be John. And his mouth was open and he praised the Lord. Always moves me. So uh, in, the, in the time we have left here, I'd, I would like to just say that there's, uh, I want to make three points because preachers have to make three points. It's, uh, it's something that's required by law. One, we should learn to expect divine help and believe it possible, even likely, in the pursuit 
of a godly life. And that's what the Apostle Peter is saying. I want you to add to your faith virtue. You see all of this uh, that he says. And to your virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To self, well, perseverance, godliness, and so forth. And he has all these godly attributes we're supposed to have. It's like, okay, is there a course? Uh, so, um, what he he begins that list though not 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 with the list, but begins begins by saying that God has called you through Christ Jesus and made possible that you are to be made participants of divine nature. And so, we should learn to expect divine help as we pursue a godly life, or anything that God has called us to do. There are three things, uh, ways that we should expect God's help. One, guidance. There are times in life we simply don't know which way to go. Have you ever been in a place like that? There's this road, there's that road. Or circumstances of life have kind of boxed us in and we don't know what to do. Brothers and sisters, we have a source of knowledge that's beyond ourselves. What if you had, you know, and, and, and this is sometimes an abuse of charismatic life, I think, if people go look for a prophet, somebody's having a prophetic gift. And so, you know, that person kind of shakes and then they give them some kind of guidance. And I'd say that not to make fun because I've actually received guidance through human beings that I believe were anointed of God to do that. But, uh, but the fact is God knows your name. He knows your address. He knows how to talk to you. And he may send a person, but... The ordinary way that we find guidance is in the study of Scripture. And particularly Scripture as it is lit upon by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And something comes on us that is inescapable. And, we've, uh, and, uh, and, and we take action. Sometimes that's because we've studied a passage. And sometimes it's just because the Scripture seems applied to a particular circumstances that day in an unusual way. A few years ago... I in a large church in Phoenix and uh, a, a church beset with all kinds of moral issues. And, um, uh, and so I was uh, called one evening by someone. Uh, in fact, they come to my home and they presented me with evidence that someone on our staff uh, and in pastoral position was involved in an immoral uh, situation that was kind of predatory. And I was shaken by this. At first, I denied it, that that would be possible because I knew this person and I didn't see that as being a possibility. But then I was presented with the evidence. So my way in pastoring has always been to just kind of wait things out. I don't get in a hurry. I don't rush to judgment. I just kind of meander my way. Because most of those things, the Lord, being the Lord's church, he takes care of in ways and I get to just kind of watch him do it. But that morning, that next morning was Sunday morning, and I, I got up and I read my passage of Scripture for the day. Well, actually, I, I do a, a study. It's called Daily Office. And, and so on this day, very unusual. In fact, it only happens a handful of times in, in the year in the, uh, in the passage I use. It called for an apocryphal reading from the Book of Wisdom, which uh, you'll find in some older Bibles between the Old and the New Testament. And... Uh, and, and Protestants don't consider it a holy scripture, but it's appreciated and respected as part of our, our heritage. And I'm like, uh, I don't read that today. I'm going to skip that. But I felt compelled. So I went to my library. I got the Apocrypha. I read 
and I read the passage, and the passage said, do not, um, do not hesitate to come to a speedy judgment on this issue. And when I opened that, I knew, I knew there was a Lord. And so I took care of things that very morning before service began, which is very unusual for me. Uh, it was the right thing to do. So scripture usually, but also through dreams and people coming in unusual circumstances uh, and, and, and learning to expect God to speak through those things. And another thing that we expect divine help with is provision. Uh, as a missionary in Central America, particularly my wife and I lived in, in a cinder block uh, church building over on, in the second floor. We, it was, it was, we were in a very impoverished situation. Uh, and um, we had to pray in money um, many times. And God always answered, I'm here. Uh, I, you know, I didn't starve to death, and we always had a roof over our head, and God provided. But finally, what Peter is getting at here is personal transformation. You know, we tend to think that our family kind of traits are des- our destiny. Well, our family's kind of stingy. Well, our family's kind of like loud mouth and boisterous. Well... Our family's kind of like we get into quarrels easy and fight. Um, and that's our natural heritage. And we, we tend to defend those things. Like, well, God will change me, but he's not going to change those things because I'm a Jones. I, I'm just Joneses or Joneses. That's just the way it is. Um, but sooner or later, the Lord will tap you on the shoulder and says, I want to change this thing about you. I'm like, well, Lord, I mean, my, my dad was that way. My granddad was that way. Yeah, I want to change this about you. And you begin to feel like the Lord beginning to mold. Because God is after making us different than we are. He loves us just as we are. But he loves us too much to leave us as we are. And he wants to change us in the way the Apostle Peter is talking about. And I better move on. Secondly, we must ask for supernatural help. Specific supernatural help uh, from time to time. When we have come to the end of our own wisdom, when we've come to the end of our own understanding, when we've come to the end of our own uh, resources, we have to ask God for specific help. The best example of this in history may be George Mueller that had all of the orphanages uh, in Bristol. You want to just treat yourself to reading something that's very inspiring. Look at the life of George Mueller. He was a a German guy that felt called to... Uh, to England. He thought to work with Jewish people, convert Jews. The Jews didn't wish to be converted. And so he he was just kind of a a grumpy uh, preacher without a pulpit. And then he got this, this little church wanted him to, to, uh, to serve them. And they had uh, pew rentals. So people come to church had to pay for their seats. Some people got better seats than other people. They could pay for better seats and so forth. And so he said, that's ungodly. He took it out. And they said, well, there'll be no no way to support you. He said, God would provide, but God didn't seem to provide. Uh, So he was grumpy again. Um, And so what happened to him is like one morning he's reading his uh, uh, daily scripture. And he was reading from the psalm that said, I will be a father to the father, thus saith the Lord. And George Mueller, being German, he stood up in the middle of the room and he said, It's a lie! You are not a father to the fatherless. The streets of England cities are filled with orphans and they have no father and you don't provide for them. It's a lie! And exhausted, he sat down in the chair. And uh, God didn't blot him off from the earth. He knew being German, he could do that. You, you can't, but they can. So, uh, but um, 
in a little bit he heard the voice of the Lord saying, I will be a father to the fatherless through you. And God began to stir his heart to create orphanages. He had no money, he had no contacts, he had no resources. It's a marvelous work of grace how that all these decades from that moment he began to house the orphans of England, providing them with an education and with food and shelter and love and care. It's, it's a most wonderful, wonderful uh, thing. I was uh, d- delighted to see that you're going to have Alpha Course. Uh, very few things in my life has impacted me like Nikki Gumbel and the Alpha Course. Uh, Nikki Gumbel came to our church in Phoenix many years ago, and I watched God move through him in a very, very powerful way. And being, again, from Pentecostal background, I assume that when powerful people like that are being used of God, that, you know, there's a certain kind of air and way that it's done. And this guy didn't have the air. He just kind of like, well, I'm glad to be here and kind of like uh, I'm going to talk to you about the Lord. And and I'm like, oh, gosh, it's going to be a long day. And they start talking about the Holy Spirit. And he said, you know, Holy Spirit, we, he'll just come if he's invited. So I'll just invite him here at this moment. And I'm like, okay, nobody playing on the organ, no lights dimming. Uh, how, how, how's the Holy Spirit going to show up? <laughs> and it, it amazed me as God began to work in, in, in people's uh, lives there in very powerful ways. You could sense a great presence of the Lord. And this man was just standing quietly waiting on the Lord. And, I, and I, I wept like a baby. I'm like, our, our times requires visitations of the Spirit to be without human manipulate, manipulation. And, uh, and so I, I actually came to know him, went to England, uh, and has, have been in his home. But I, I watched this, this man of God uh, work by asking supernatural help. And what, the way Alpha works is that you know, the unbeliever can say whatever they want after they, they hear the presentation of the gospel and, and the facilitator doesn't correct them. And that was really difficult in our church at first because, you know, if a Buddha shows up and says, yeah, it was good. And the Buddha used to say blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the Buddha was a great man. And uh, the, the response to that is, yes, he was a great man. And thank you for sharing it. What else did the Buddha say that might, uh, uh, that might uh, be interesting to us tonight? And, and, or if it's an atheist or whatever, you, you, don't, uh, you show absolute radical hospitality to your guests. But in the meanwhile, the saints of God are praying that the Spirit would visit the people who are hearing the presentation of the gospel. And you depend on God showing up through many infallible proofs to show himself to be yet alive. And through all these years, millions of people have been converted through the Alpha Course because... There is that quiet request, Lord, in your own way, would you show up in a way that's right for that person and convince them that you love them and that you're alive. Praise God. The third thing, we must notice supernatural help when it is given. There's, we, we have to expect that we're going to receive. We don't... I disagree with a lot of the preachers on television that say, you know, you, you ask God for a black Lexus, you know, that's the latest model with all the gadgetry, and you confess that until it just happens, you know. Uh, well, you know, no. Uh, 
It's, it's, it's wonderful. It, it does work for them, but then you've got to have an awful lot of people putting their seed faith into that uh, kind of request. Um, the book of Hebrews makes, makes it plain opening that the Holy Spirit works and gives gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His will. So when we pray for supernatural help, we don't have to inform God on how that help is supposed to come. He's called the Lord because he's the Lord and we're his servants and his disciples and children, right? So he knows best what's for us. I, I look back and I'm so thankful the Lord hasn't answered so many of my prayers as I ask him to. But he did answer my prayers. And when I look back and I've kept a journal, which is something that I've, uh, thankfully we know about George Mueller because he kept a journal. He didn't otherwise tell people what was going on. Um, but um, as I look back on my life, God has answered my prayers, but he's answered my prayers sometimes in very surprising ways. And we have to learn to look when there's surprising coincidences or when suddenly there's a s sudden sense of like, oh, pay attention to what that person is saying is, oh, Here's a circumstance. Something is going on here that I... And, and as you walk with God, you can begin to kind of have that sense and uh, that suddenly you're in different territory. And uh, let, me, let me just uh, conclude uh, with this. My wife had a brain aneurysm in 2004, and she wasn't expected to live. And, um, and so um, it was a horrible uh, thing. Uh, and... Day after day, for weeks and weeks, I went to the hospital. Um, and, uh, but on that second day, it was basically a death watch. And so I, I, had, I was so exhausted, went home about 1 o'clock. I came back about 5 to the hospital. And, uh, and I was going into the intensive care where my wife was in a coma. And uh, there was a cleaning lady there. And... Uh, her name was Genevieve, I found out later, but she was a Mexican lady and she was pushing the brooms and mops. And so it's just, you know, you grow up in Latin America, there's, you just say good morning to people. And so I said good morning to her uh, in Spanish. Um, and I uh, kept walking and she said, wait. So I said, yeah, she said, come, come back here. She was an older lady. Well, well, probably my age now, uh, come think of, uh, an older lady. Uh, and, uh, and so I went back to stand behind her little stand, thing of brooms and mops, and, and she said, uh, why are you so sad? And I said, well, my wife is dying. And she looked at me for some time, she said, no, she's not. So, kind of ticked me off. But I said, well, what makes you so sure? She said, oh, I cleaned the hospital so I can pray for people. And she turned her little badge over and had a little icon of Christ on it. And she said, I have a sense of who's dying and who's not. Your wife's not dying. And suddenly there was like, okay, this woman's not crazy. So I said to her, you're pretty certain of that? She said, yeah, she's going to recover. 
Don't be sad now. And took my hand and blessed me. And somehow I knew in that moment, that's right, my wife's not going to die. My daughter come in later and I said, I want you to meet somebody. And so I went, uh, so Genevieve had propped up the bathroom door with, with a mop, mop bucket. And, uh, and uh, so I called if she would come out for a moment. And I said, can you take a moment to see my daughter? And uh, my daughter crying fell in, on her shoulder. And she said to my daughter, your mother will live. Genevieve's gone on to be with the Lord now. We kept in touch with her afterwards. She was a cleaning lady, strategically placed in St. Joseph's Hospital by the Lord Jesus Christ to from time to time give people a word from God. She wasn't crazy. She wasn't irresponsible or weird. She just from time to time would stop mopping and give people a word from God. You can choose to do what you will with those things. You can say, well, you see... In the end, a lot of Christians, I think, in, in our country either go to that kind of side of, I'm going to pursue life in this kind of supernatural, very dramatic kinds of things, but I'm not going to worry too much about study. I'm not going to worry too much about doing a budget. I'm not going to worry about planning very much. And, and, and we see the kind of the irresponsibility of that. And many times, immature people, very immature, kind of, grabbing a hold of that. But we see another thing in our country too, and that is trying to do the work of God as though God's not really involved. Trying to do the work of God by saying if we can make the right plans, if we can have the right details, if we can strategize the right way, if we can have the right equipment, then the result will be... Yes, but even if you succeed, what will you have? There have to be something in each of our lives and in the life of the church especially that when individuals that are seeking God come in, there's that point where they kind of gasp and say, there's something else than just good human beings here doing good things. This is what I think the Apostle Peter tells us. We are pursuing a life that God, because God himself has called us. And not only are we ourselves being made recipients of divine nature, but even material things can be blessed in such a way that they become a blessing to the, uh, to the human family and connect them to divine grace. In just a little while, we'll be receiving communion. You decide whether that's just a, a piece of kind of like whatever it is, bread. In our case, some, a guy told me at church, I believe it's the body of Christ. I just don't believe it's bread. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but you, you determine, your attitude determines, are you going to be strengthened by coming to the Lord's table and, and taking stock of your life and asking the Lord's divine grace to enter your life and transform you? Or is it just going to be something where well, the church does this, we don't know exactly why, but we do it and, and there it's done and now we're, we've done it. Something has to shift in us to say, I expect, I observe, I receive this infusion of divine life that's making me a different person and making this community something other than just a collection of really good people doing really good things. Come by here, Lord. Come by here. Come by here, my Lord. 
Come by here. Come by here, my Lord. Come by here. Oh, Lord. Come by here. Let's just stand together in God's presence right now. If you, have, if you haven't asked the Lord or expected his help in recent days, the Lord has wanted you to get your expectations up. And we've heard, we've heard a, a wonderful message. The Lord is calling us to continue the work he's already shown us. So continue what you know. Continue how you know to do it continue to take that next step to do the next thing he's called you to do but don't be surprised when divine help comes don't be surprised when divine provision comes how many know that our god wants to take care of us right he wants to take care of us he hasn't left us alone he hasn't left us abandoned He hasn't left us to just try to figure things out by ourselves. Our God wants to help us. So, Lord, we just set our attention upon you. We've sung about you. Lord, we've heard the word declare who you are. So now, Lord, we prepare our hearts. We prepare our hearts to receive all that you have.